0: Last week we started our relationship series and we said this last week. Remember back in high school when, you know, you were dating somebody and then, you know, you had to call it off and you wanted to be nice because back in high school you still had a soul. And so you were like, no, it's not you. It's me. You know, it's not you. You're perfect. I just, I just need to find who I am, right? I'm just, I'm just going through something right now. I, need to, I, need to just, I just need some alone time with me, right? But then something happens when we get married because our tone goes from it's not you, it's me to it ain't me it's you right it, it ain't me i'm not the reason it, you're the reason i'm not happy you're the reason we don't have any money you're the reason why our kids are the way they are you're the reason that we don't have any friends why we can't get ahead in life It you're the reason why fill in the blank right and a lot of us that has kind of become our our thoughts our feelings it's like it ain't my fault it's your fault And until you change, nothing's going to change. When in reality, if we would just all look in the mirror and realize it takes two to tango, right? And if we would start working on ourselves, then we would see some change that we're looking forward to. I don't know if you remember this, but I mean, times have changed and things are different now, but there used to be these old Norman Rockwell paintings. Remember those, the little Norman Rockwell paintings? Um, and it kind of depicted what life was and felt like in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And, you know, there's the, there's the Thanksgiving dinner one, and the dad's got his suit on, and all the, all the family's there at the table, and the mom brings the turkey over, right? There's that one. There's the one that, you know, it's, it's called No Swimming, and it's three boys, and they're running. You know, they're running because they got caught swimming in the swimming hole, still in their skivvies, right? Uh, there's one called um, Dating, our, our First Date, and it's a picture of her, and she's in the mirror, and she's getting ready, and you can tell she's all giddy, and there's a picture of the boy, and he's in the mirror, and he's all giddy, right? And then there's one called Sunday Morning, and uh, it's the mom, two, two girls, and a, a little boy, and they're all dressed up for church, and they're on their way out the door, and then the dad is still in his PJs, sitting in the, sitting in the chair with a cigarette and, and the newspaper. And uh, you could tell that he was kind of slumped down in the, in the, in the, in the painting, because um, he didn't want anybody to notice him. But I noticed this, because I was looking at these this morning. The little boy knows it's him. He knows where he's at. And it's like the little boy's paying attention. Dad doesn't go to church on Sunday mornings. And I'm very thankful for the men of Your Place Church who bring their, come on, bring their families to church in the morning. It's a big deal. You count it a priority. But it just, it just kind of, I don't know, put things into, into perspective about life back in those days. Now, again, culture has changed. I don't know if you guys have saw this or not, but there was a, a May 1955 housekeeping monthly published an article called The Good Wife's Guide. They're just, trying to be, they're just trying to be helpful, right? Just trying to be helpful. Now, disclaimer. <laughs> Tyra was very clear with me before I got on stage. You make sure you, they know you do not agree with this. So she's down on the front row going... <laughs> This is, this is an actual article published in 1955 in, in, in Housekeeping Monthly. Number one, ladies, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, uh, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. Uh, this is the way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home and the prospect of a good meal, especially his favorite dish, is a part of a warm welcome needed. Okay, okay. Number number three here, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair. Be fresh looking. He's just been with a lot of work-weary people. <laughs> Moving right along. Clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Gather up school supplies, toys, paper, etc. Then, then run a dust cloth uh, uh, over the over the tables. Uh, oh, on the cooler months of uh, the year, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. Your husband will feel, you know, he will feel. Uh, That he's reached a haven of rest and order, and it will give you a lift, too. After all, catering to his comfort will provide you with some immense personal satisfaction. Okay, I'm just reading the article. Okay, I'm just reading the article. We'll skip down. We'll skip down. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Um, You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but at the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Do not throw... Hey, I'm just reading the article. Just reading the article. (laughs) It gets worse. (laughs) Make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home late or goes out to dinner at other places of entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure, and his very real need to be at home and relaxed. Your goal should be to try to make your home as a place of peace, of order, and tranquility, where you and your husband can, or where you can make your husband renew himself, body and spirits. Don't ask him questions about his actions or question his judgment of integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house. <laughs> <It's right there. laughs> number 18 gets it where number 18 number ta- number 18 takes the cake I've skipped I've skipped a bunch of these skipped a bunch of these a, a good wife number 18 says a good wife knows her place now listen this is 1955. All right. Things have obviously changed and I I don't agree with the I don't agree with this. This is this is a long time ago. I just thought it would be funny to read. But anyway, there are some things that when it comes to passion and when it comes to expectations in a marriage, I think there are some things that we can talk about because, believe it or not, but we all walk into relationships with a certain amount of expectations, whether it's our upbringing, uh, whether it's things we've gone through, whether it's culture, and the Scripture actually has a lot to say along these lines. And so I want to I show you what the Scripture says, and I believe the Lord's going to help us all. Amen, everyone. And again, this does not necessarily just apply to, to marriage relationships or dating relationships. This is a lot of relationships, um, but I'm using the filter or, or, or the lens of a marriage relationship just as a, a base to talk to you guys from. And I think it's important also to just pause for a second and say that Tyra and I, we had to kind of learn this stuff. You know, we, we both came from really great families, um, but when it comes to like actual, like how do, how do you create a healthy, vibrant relationship in marriage, we, we, had to, we had to read, we had to research, we had to learn. And uh, a lot of what we did came through just hard knocks in, in life and just, you know, learning what not to do and then learning what to do. But we did come across some content written by Jimmy and Karen Evans. And I'm telling you, they have probably been one of the foremost um, marriage consultants, if you will, in our life. Uh, we've, we've, we've devoured their material. And uh, if, you've, if you've followed along with them, um, he stole everything from me. Not, I'm kidding. I stole everything from him. All right. Because he is just he's just they have done a lot of research in this area. And so. Um, if this sounds familiar, it's because I've taken it straight from Marriage on the Rock in Exo um, Marriage, their their website. It's it's just really good stuff. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I thank you that the principles of relationship are really universal. Lord, I know different cultures say different things, but Lord, we want to we want to look and see what your word says, and we want to be moved by your word, not by culture. Uh, not by upbringing even father some of us have come from different backgrounds Uh, we have a different view of relationships marriages Uh, and lord i just i just ask right now that you would move through me in the next few minutes here because i really believe there are some things that can help people and lord we want to be helpful to people today that's what this is all about we want to be helpful to people so lord let these not just be my words or even pastor jimmy's words but father let them be your words In our heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When Tyra and I got married, um, our first month of marriage, we actually lived at my parents. They have this lake house on Fort Gibson, and so we lived there for about a month. Um, But the commute back and forth, we worked in Broken Arrow. Uh, The commute back and forth was just a little too much. Um, We were actually on staff as uh, youth pastors at a church. Uh, It was volunteer uh, at a church in Coweta, and so we, so we wanted to do life in Coweta, um but we we worked in Broken Arrow, and so um, we moved to a rent house in Coweta. Now, it's just me and her. We're, you know, 20 years old. I mean, we got married young, 20 years old. In fact, we got engaged at 19, married at 20, uh, had Taylor at 22, and so like now I've got grandkids. I'm still young and strapping. You know what I mean? got grandkids. I got five of them. Um, thank you. Um, but we moved to this rent house and this rent house. I mean, we thought we were big time. It had four bedrooms, rent house, four bedrooms, large living area, large kitchen, dining room combo. It's like, like a half acre had fruit trees on it. Um, and the rent was only like $350 a month. And so we were like, this is it. So we moved in, didn't have any furniture. We had a couch. Um, uh, we had a bed. I think it was, it was her bed. Did we bring your water bed? I don't remember. Remember the water beds? Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? We brought the water bed, and, uh, and uh, we had a TV and a VCR. It was a 23-inch TV, Gold Star, matching VCR. We, we loved those things. It was the old tube-style TV. We're talking about 1993 here. And so they didn't have flat screen TVs. They weren't as common back then. Um, But the the TV and the VCR was kind of our prized possessions because they were new. We got them for our wedding and uh, they were the same brand. And uh, we were like, whoa, here we go. Uh, my parents actually had had a glass table, and the glass table part, I don't know if it broke, chipped, or they threw it away, but they had the base still, and so we had the base of a, of a dining room table, and so I went and bought a sheet of 4x8 OSB particle board, laid it right on that base, tablecloth, boom, we got us a dining room table, right? You guys remember these days, for those of you guys who, who, who can relate, folding chairs pushed up to it. Of course, the humidity of that house made that OSB go, you know, so it was, it was kind of a bow table. Uh, it had one uh, window unit in the master bedroom, so the master bedroom froze because we tried to use it to cool the other Four bedrooms, living—you know, all of it—and uh, so in the summertime we sweated, in the wintertime we froze because it only had a floor furnace, kind of over in the right, right before you go into the the hallway. That was the only source of heat uh, in the whole house. But it was, but it was great. We were in love. You know what I mean? We, it was just me and her and the dog. And uh, we, we enjoyed that rent house because it was, it was, it was just us. We were starting this, this adventure together and we were happy and it didn't really matter our surroundings. And it's interesting because Jane Alvis did a sociological study. It's been several years ago. It was a very large study. And she said that the findings from this study showed that, that the all-time happiest moment in a married couple's life is the first three to four years. The first three to four years is the happiest that a couple will be. And then after that, when the kids start to come, the the happiness in the marriage actually starts to decline a little bit. And then uh, according to her findings, and again, large group of people surveyed, according to her findings, when the kids reach high school age, the marriage satisfaction bottoms out. And then after the kids you know, grow up, go to college, move out, I don't know, 18, 23, 38, whatever it is in your world, right, whenever they decide to move out, um, the marriage satisfaction actually rises a little bit, but it never actually returns back to the place it did when they first got married. Now, it's important to say her findings are a typical family, not necessarily the ones who have Jesus as the center of their life. Amen, everyone. But when passion levels leave, well, no one wants to be stuck in a relationship where there's no passion. Nobody wants to be stuck in a relationship. Nobody wants to be, um, I just, it's the word stuck. I feel like I'm stuck in a relationship. Well, Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking about something that most people associate with money. And it's true, I mean it applies to money. In fact, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible about money, but this actually applies in so many other different ways here. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, the Bible says, "Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal." Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, don't lay up treasures on earth. Have a mind towards eternity. But then he says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've used this scripture during offering times here at the church, but there's so much more here. That word treasure is actually the word thesaros in the Greek. And it actually, I mean, it means treasure, but it actually means more than that. It's a, it means a repository of treasure, or we would say a treasure chest. It's where you keep your treasure, right? But then it says this, it says, um, Jesus says where you put your treasure chest, there your cardia, your cardia, that word there in the Greek is, is for heart, but cardia means the seed of your passions. So what Jesus is saying here is whatever you're putting the best of your life to, your passions will always be there as well. All right? Stay with me. You can't separate your passion from your treasure. Your passion will always tell on you. Are you passionate about your spouse? Well, not, re- not really. Are you passionate about church? Eh. We go, are you passionate about college football? Oh, buddy, boomer, (laughs) right? Pistols firing, okay? Like your passions, your passions will tell on you, right? And so your passion is telling everyone where you're putting your treasure, side thought, Jesus is telling everyone that if your passion is on earth, then your treasure will be also. And if your passion is on the things of God, your treasure will be there also. And here's what we've realized now over 30 years of ministry. People who give to God, time, talent, treasure, whatever that looks like in your world, people who give to God don't backslide on God. People who who are involved in what God's involved in don't turn away from god but if you're not then you always struggle with god you always struggle with church so back to us this is this is why you fell in love in the first place you invested the best part of your time your talent your treasure um to the other person and guess what you fell in love you fell in love I remember when Tyra and I were dating. This is before the rent house. This is back when we were just 17 and and uh, and starting a relationship together. We were in, I don't remember, I think it was JCPenney or Dillard's, um, and we were walking through, and there was this leather jacket that had all this different types of different colors of patches on the jacket, and uh, she was like, oh, this would be so great, right? And she tried it on. She gets in front of the mirror, right? And I feel like then it was only like $280, which... Might as well have been $1,000 to a 17-year-old kid. You know what I mean? I was working at the original cookie company in Eastland Mall. Anybody remember Eastland Mall? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Original cookie company, the guy there, that was me. That was me, all right? Flipping your cookies. Okay? So... uh and so I, I, didn't, I didn't have $280 to spend on her, but she wanted that thing. I could tell she had a twinkle in her eye, and uh, we weren't even married yet, and I'm about to spend $280 on her. Well, she goes, she goes home. We don't say and She puts it back on the rack. I go back later, and I buy that leather jacket. I have no idea to this day how I scraped up the money to do it. But I wrapped it up, and I gave it to her for Christmas, and she opened it up, and she goes, <gasps> and her words weren't thank you her words were you have to take this back <laughs> like this is too much money we ain't there yet you know what i mean it's like you got to take this back but what was i doing i was i was investing so much inside of her it's how you fall in love i mean you do things you wouldn't normally do right why because you love them and so jean alvis's findings here about how You know, happy marriages are happy the first three to four years. God designed your marriage to get better and better every year. In no other arena does the rookie know more about the arena than the 30 year old veteran. Are you with me, friends? God actually designed it to get better year after year after year and tyron i'll tell you this tyron and i are happier today than we've ever been amen Amen. you don't just reap what you sow you reap where you sow and when you're not sowing into your own marriage or relationship whatever it looks like in your world You're giving what belongs to your spouse to someone else, and it will create jealousy in your marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. We belong to God first, first and foremost. But secondly, we belong to each other. And we know this. I mean, Tyrant knows she belongs to me before she belonged to our children. And this is, I'm going I'm ruff, to ruffle some feathers right here. She belongs to me before she belonged to our children. Before she belongs to our grandchildren. And I belong to her more than I belong to our kids. More than I belong to my, job, more than I belong to y'all. Okay. I belong to her. And any time I take what's hers and give it to someone else, and again, I realize we all have to work and we all have hobbies and I get all that. But when it becomes excessive and any time I take what actually belongs to her and gives it to someone else, jealousy by nature is created in that moment. Are you with me? I mean, one of God's names is capital J jealous. You can go look it up. And the reason why is because God's madly in love with you. God's madly in love with you. And so when we take what belongs to him and we give it somewhere else, then he gets jealous. And I thought jealousy was a sin. Well, there's a righteous form of jealousy. God created us for him first, and he is jealous of anything else that takes us away from him. The reason why God is jealous is because he's in love with us. When we begin to drift away from him, he fights for us. And we need to be thankful that we have a God that fights for our hearts. Amen, everyone. But it happens to couples all the time. We get married. We start investing in each other. We fall in love, right? So why does the satisfaction drop? Because uh, when the kids come, the wife turns her heart towards the children. And so the man turns his heart towards his career, his work. And then we have big fights and why are you always mad all the time? Well, how come you come home late? Well, I come home, um, you don't have any time for me because you've already given it all to the children, right? It's just this constant cycle. So when the kids leave the house, typically life gets better, but, it, but the damage has been done. And so that's why they say it, it, it's never as much as it was when you first got married. I have good news for you. That damage can be undone. Amen, everyone damage can be undone. But here's the problem with investing in someone or something other than your spouse, there's going to be a harvest. Wherever you're investing, there's going to be a harvest. I had a friend of mine and uh, he was a, he was an athlete kind of guy. And, um, he, he spent a lot of his time in the gym and, uh, he, he was there and he enjoyed it. He was, he was, you know, big and uh he um he there was another there was a lady that worked out the same time he did and they ended up kind of spotting each other at the gym you know lifting heavy weights well that uh that gym time became more and more and more and then next thing you know he's making a comment about how he's got to travel next week for work and uh, he says where he's going and she books a flight for the same trip Wherever you're investing the most of your time, there's going to be a harvest. He ended up having an affair on his wife. Um, And it's sad, but it's true. If you're investing in your work more than your marriage, guess where your passion's gonna be? If you're investing in your kids more than your marriage, guess where your passion's going to be? And here's what happens. Your spouse begins complaining and you begin to feel conflicted because you know they're right But you're so far into this, you don't actually want it to change. You don't want to go back. You don't want it to change. You're actually enjoying what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Amen? You guys know where I'm at? So what do you do? What do you do? How do we get the love back? Well, Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, he's talking to the church, but it applies to relationships as well. He's talking to the church of Ephesus, and he just begins to go through this whole list of things that they're actually doing great at. Like, you do great at this, you do great at this, you do great at this. But then when we get to verse 4, he says this. He says, yet I hold this against you. In other words, you're doing great in all these other areas, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love. Yes, you're doing great, but you've forsaken the love you've had at first. Verse five says, consider how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is saying, I'm not good with anything less than your complete passion for me. And what he's saying is, somebody else has, has got your first love. Somebody else has your first love. When you fall in love with someone, you don't, you don't lose that love. Your love doesn't go away, it moves. It moves to something different or someone different. And so he says, if you don't change, Jesus is telling the church, if you don't change, I will come and I will remove my lampstand, which represents him. It represents his anointing, his grace. He says, I'm going to remove that from you. Side thought, lukewarm Christians are bad advertisement for a great God. I'm going to say that again. Lukewarm Christians are bad advertisement for a great, great God. And he won't have it. So he goes into this. He says, do the things you did at first. Now, I find it interesting. He's not telling them to feel anything. He's telling them to do something. Do the things you did at first. You know, we've, we've, we've helped several couples over the years and it seems like there's a trend Um, they're done like they are done 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 and they come and they meet with us kind of as a last-ditch effort if you will and the the story is different but the the results seem to be similar or for most cases the same and that is you know they're, they're done they don't even like each other they're sleeping in separate rooms maybe in separate houses um, but what happens is, is they start, okay, they kind of hands in, we're going we're gonna to give this thing a go again, uh, we talk them through some stuff, and the next thing you know, they just agree, well, we're just going to do the things we did at first, right? We had a date night, or, you know, we, we, I, I, used to, I used to come home early, and remember when we used to say things, we used to say no to things so we could say yes to each other, we started doing that stuff again. And the next thing you know, a couple of weeks goes by and someone laughs in the house. And you remember, I've, I've, I've spent such a long time since I've heard you laugh. And then a few weeks after that, you become friends again. And then a few weeks after that, you're, they're madly in love. They're madly in love. Why? Because they started doing the things they once did. Jesus said, remember what it was like. Do those things again, whether you like it or not. Remember the first date. Remember how you used to talk to each other. Remember how you said no to everything else so you could say yes to each other. Remember what kind of a Christian you were when you met Jesus. Amen. And then he's like, repent. The word repent literally means change your mind, turn around, go back and do what you did at first. <clears throat> people tell me all the time, I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Like, in other words, it's all over and I can't get it back. You can if you repent and do what you used to do. Amen, everyone? I remember I was listening to Jimmy Evans talk along these lines. And he was talking about how he gets letters from all over the world. People, his content has helped a lot of people. And he was talking about a couple from England that had rode in, and they were actually, um, they were married, but uh, they were having, both of them were having an online affair with someone else. And so they literally would be in the same room together, trying to keep it a secret, but have their phone out, and they they would be chatting with someone else. Both of them were, both of them were. What they did not know was they were having an online affair with each other. (laughs) Like, he's over here being all sweet and stuff like that. She's getting this message, not knowing it's him, because he's a scumbag. You know what I mean? Like, this marriage is over, right? But this guy is talking sweet to her, so she's flirting back. Well, after a few days of this, they decide they got to meet. Like, they got to meet. You like piña colada. No, sorry. Anyway, they got to meet, right? They got to meet. And so they they meet and they walk in the door and it's, oh, it's you, right? Except in the piña colada song, um, they laugh about it and, you know, get back together. This couple divorced because they were so mad that the other one was cheating on them. With them. (laughs) They were mad. How could you? But here's the sad truth. If they would have talked like that to each other, if they would have talked like that to each other again, they wouldn't have lost the marriage. The best part of my life goes to Jesus Christ. The the second best goes to Tyra Reigns, and I will not change that. I will not change that. Amen, everyone. So here we are in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And I want to talk for the last few remaining minutes that I have here, how to create a lasting passion in your marriage. How to create a lasting passion in your marriage. Number one, it's not you who needs to change. It's me. It's not you. Focus on yourself for just a second. Are you giving your best to the marriage? See, so many people defend themselves in marriage based upon their spouse's behavior. Are you giving yourself your best? Well, they're not giving me their best. Why should I give them my best? And so we justify our actions based upon our spouse's behavior. That's not the question. The question is, are you giving your best? Amen, everyone? Amen. Number two, deal with the root issues that caused you to turn away in the first place. What was it? Was it laziness? Was it because you know something else had, had taken your affection? Was there tension? What is the root issue there? Are you taking your spouse for granted? Some people thought when they got married it would just be a great marriage and it'd be super easy. Disappointment and unrealistic expectations are the number one reason why people get divorced today. Most people get married with unrealistic expectations of marriage. And this is why we do a marriage prep. Like we use Symbus which is save your marriage before it starts. And uh, I I'm doing one right now with a couple. And literally what you do is you sit down and you and you separately you go through the questions, you answer them as best as you can basically on your upbringing, your thoughts uh, the, the program throws them together and it talks, it talks through everything and it creates an expectation for this marriage. More people spend more time planning the wedding than they do the marriage. And so what we've decided, in fact, our board of directors will not let me marry anyone unless they they're willing to go through 13 weeks of marriage counseling with us before they get married. I've had people ask me, hey, I'm getting married next week. Can you do it? No. I I can't because you're not ready. And so unrealistic expectations and dissatisfaction in the marriage is the number one reason why people get divorced. We get married. Our spouse doesn't meet our expectations. We get disappointed. We turn our heart away. We turn our heart to the kids, we turn our heart to the work. And a lot, of, a lot of times the problem isn't our spouse, it was our expectations coming into the marriage. Feelings of jealousy, rejection. Let's keep moving. Number three, communicate to your spouse about your own mistakes and affirm your commitment to give them your all again. Like this is the repent part. Sometimes we have to say it out loud. Maybe I have been working a lot. And don't make it, well, it's because you're just whatever when I come home. Like, you can talk those things out. But at the end of the day, the repent part that Jesus is talking about, hey, I'm sorry. It's not you. It's, it's me. And I, I'm willing to change and, and, and I'm willing to give this thing a go. I'm not going to do that anymore. We taught our children that they are a temporary assignment to us. We taught them that. And don't hear what I'm not saying. None of them felt like they ever, you know, missed out or were rejected. They got a little mad when we went on a little me and her vacation. They're like, going to the beach again? Yeah. (laughs) Why? Because I have her forever. I have you for like 30 more days, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're getting down to it. <laughs> 35, 40 days. What is the day? Do you guys know how many how more many days? There's, you don't have a countdown clock? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, so these guys are getting married, but, but I've taught them, I've taught them, Hey, this is, this is forever. You're, you're a temporary assignment, but I was present. Like we ate dinner together. All of us ate dinner together. We played outside together. We did go on vacations together. I was at their games. I, we did it all together. We I, I put them in bed. We put them in bed together. We read a Bible story together. We invested in our children. But at the end of the day, our kids knew this was first. The best thing you can give your children is a happy marriage. Yeah. Is a happy marriage. Yeah. And if you if you are hoping to, to grow up and, you know, your kids not have the life you had, you're, you're don't hear, don't, don't, this is going to sound terrible, but you're doing it wrong because I actually want my kids to have my life. I want my kids to have the relationship that I have with Jesus. I want my kids to have the relationship with their spouse that I have with their mother. I want my grandkids to see it. Amen, everyone? Amen. Yeah. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I model that. How are your kids going to see a successful marriage unless we show them? That's right. So you're setting them up for failure if you choose them over your spouse. I've had people get up and walk out of my service at that statement. Nothing comes between me and my kids. That's your mistake. And your kids are destined to repeat your life. And you don't want that for them. You don't want that for them. Is this, is this okay, friends? Yeah. <clears throat> so our, today, our children are raising their children the way we raise them. The way we raise them. Build, number four, build disciplines into your marriage. It's not what you can make happen once. It's what you can continue to make happen. Again and again and again. When the best part of your life goes to Jesus, your first part of your day, the first part of your increase or your giving, and you're involved in serving him in some way, you'll always have a passion for Jesus. When the second best of your life goes to your spouse, you'll always have a passion for your spouse. And I will not give what belongs to Tyra Raines to anyone else other than Tyra Raines. I love my kids too much. I love you too much to give what belongs to her to even you. Does this make sense? And listen, we love you. We've spent a lot of time with a lot of you recently. But we always make sure this is good. Amen, everyone. Father, we love you. And we worship you. Lord, we know that a lot of dissatisfaction in marriage comes with unmet expectations. That's where frustration is in any arena. I thought it would be different than this. When, Lord, you encouraged us in Revelation chapter 2 to do the things you once did. Not feel, because feelings follow our actions. And so, Father, as I look over a room full of of people in various types of relationships, Father, my prayer is that, Lord, in some way, your Holy Spirit is tugging at their hearts, that they, too, could do the thing they used to do. And, Father, that passion would come back that excitement for the relationship would come back. And Father, we just ask you to breathe life into them. Breathe life into their relationships in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm, I'm not gonna run the risk that there could be someone in the room that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I could tell you right now, Jesus is the foundation for every relationship in fact it's been my experience if jesus isn't at the center of the relationship we can do very little to save a relationship and so if you've never made jesus christ your lord and savior i'm not going to embarrass you i'm not going to have you come forward but i just i just need to know who i'm praying for i would like to pray with you so heads are bowed eyes are closed if you're in the room you've never accepted jesus christ in your life or maybe you once had a relationship with jesus and you walked away from him Just put your hand up real quick and put it right back down. I'm just gonna pray for you before we leave. Thank you. All over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Over here, thank you. Anybody else like that? Thank you. Amen, thank you. Anybody else I can pray with you before we leave? Thanks, over here. Thanks, all over the room. Thank you. See, this is, again, we're not not about embarrassing anybody. You're just acknowledging, okay, there may be a disconnect here that I need to fix today. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confessing with your mouth you will be saved that is the foundation he is the foundation that all of this stems on so if you if you if you lifted your hand or maybe you should have lifted your hand i still want you to pray this prayer with me in fact i'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me and remember your first time you prayed it everybody say heavenly father, heavenly father. Thank, you thank you for sending jesus To pay the price for my sin. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my past. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Make me a brand new person. Wash away my past. I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name.